the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. And this is what we see here in Judges chapter 9, verses 1 through 21. Today on Way of Grace, we begin our look at Abimelech, the Antichrist that was chosen by the people. through scripture, especially the Old Testament, and you get the sense that it is an ebb and flow. You have some high points followed by low points. Well, Gideon was certainly a high point, and he is indeed followed by a low point, Abimelech. And he's seen as a type of antichrist. That's what we're exploring today as we return to Judges chapter 9, verses 1 through 21. Let's catch up with Pastor Jessica Stan for today's broadcast of Way of Grace from Grace Bible Church in Hayward and online at grace-bible.com. There's some lessons that we should learn from Abimelech, I think, especially as I was going through just the reading of the historical narrative on Abimelech, Jotham called out to me. So you're going to miss Jotham because Abimelech makes such a big mess. But if you keep your eye on Jotham, you'll understand how Jotham plays a critical key in the turning of evil events that are designed to destroy God's people to God providentially rescuing his people from evil. So the title of our message today is Abimelech, the Antichrist King They Chose. The Antichrist King They Chose. And of course, as you know, we're working through the book of Judges, and there are all kind of themes that we've already established. The Savior motif, God raises up a few. Often he only raises up one to actually deliver many. And we have enjoyed um, going through the uh, judgeship of Gideon, have we not? Well, in reality, we are still dealing with Gideon right now. We're still dealing with him, and we are going to learn that Gideon was wiser and, um, and more prescient than we could even imagine. And if, if there's anything I want us to draw out of this particular exhortation, it would be this. We ought to really appreciate good leadership anywhere we find it on the planet. Anywhere you find good leadership on the planet, you should appreciate it. If the, if the narrative serves us today, you will see the parallels between the kind of evil that is going on here in this intermediary state between Gideon and Samson and our own epic, our own time, our own present cultural malay, our own present evil, uh, chaotic, uh, sometimes irrational manifestations and outbreaks of all kinds of calamity, at least this is the way that I see it. I do believe that the theme running through the book of Judges is that in those days, there was no king in the land. 
no chief organizing principle, no central hierarchical moral ethical framework, no model, if you will, of righteousness by which the people can be kept intact. And because there's no king in the land, every man was doing that which was right in their own eyes. Does that sound like our world today? And yet, obviously, God was working, was he not? And that's often what we have to remember. Even in the midst of the greatest chaos, even in the midst of the greatest evil, God is still working. God is sovereign. God is able to make and cause to abound everything he purposes, even if it's in the midst of extremely difficult times. In addition to that, Gideon's epithet speaks very clearly of how our Lord used him. Of course, that's what I'm saying. I I so appreciate Gideon, you guys, particularly now that we're turning the corner into chapter uh, nine and looking at his sons and their behavior. Um, Gideon has an epithet that I want to remind you of over in verse 28 of chapter eight. Notice what it says. Thus, was Midian subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted up their heads no more. Do you see that? Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness, that is in peace and in prosperity for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Don't tell me that Gideon is not a righteous judge. Don't tell me that God's favor and mark was not upon him. He was one of the eminent ones in the book of Judges. And we are reminded again, Hebrews eleven thirty two 32, that by faith, Gideon, along with others, subdued kingdoms. Just remember that. Remember that. Um, and it's because of the, I, what shall I say more? The time would fail me to tell of who? Immediately he uses Gideon. So the Hebrew people understood how to evaluate good leadership. It's important for us to know that because the moment that Gideon dies, the people lose their mind again. We are told over in, uh, in chapter 8, verse 29, these words, And Jerubbaal, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. He went back home. He enjoyed life. He was blessed of God, highly exalted and favored for 40 years. And we read now over in verse 32, these words, and Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age. Isn't that biblical terminology for being blessed of God? In a good old age, good old age and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash's father in opera of the uh, Abiezrites. It's so very clear that God honored Gideon in his labors, and we want to keep that in mind. But Gideon, though he completely denied the kingship, which I think was the hallmark of his wisdom, he lived like a king because God had prospered him imminently. And one of the evidences that he lived like a king is that he had 70 sons. Now laugh a little bit, but it's time for you to understand what I told you before. We are in between the patriarchy and the monarchy. Headed towards the monarchy, we are getting ready to set up a model of governance by which the heads of state and the heads of nations, particularly the king 
is obligated to have an heir that follows him. And it's for this reason, not only out of what we call a biological imperative, that the kings had many sons, but it was also because when you are viewed as king, you have a target on your back and the enemy wants to take you out and you've got to have a seed to perpetuate your line. Am I making some sense? So I want you to catch the paradoxical nature of it. Gideon wouldn't dare be king over Israel because he knew that the Lord had said he would be king. But Gideon did enjoy the benefits and blessings of what it would be like to be a king. And so according to our text, he multiplied wives and therefore had how many sons? Seventy sons. Gideon was a mighty man of valor. (laughs) That's the first thing I thought of. He was indeed a mighty man of valor. Now, for those of you who know your Bible well, you know we are speaking spiritual things. And you know we are speaking redemptively. We are not speaking merely horizontally, but in terms of what this signifies. How is it that Gideon is playing out a motif that actually points to the great king himself, the Lord Jesus Christ? And of course, God has many sons, does he not? And yet God has ultimately one son. And even that one son did not act like king, though he was king when he walked the earth, as was the case with Gideon. He did gather to himself men who would be like kings under him. They were called apostles. And just like Gideon had 70 sons, the number 70 referring to the fullness and perfection of the people of God, the Lord Jesus Christ had 12 apostles. And both Gideon and Jesus could say, One of them was a devil. This is how you begin to lay out the mapping of the text in front of you so you can see the gospel as it unpacks. Are you guys keeping up with me? Very important for you to capture what's taking place in our... And so chapter 9 opens up almost... uh, Uh, inadvertently, without any kind of detail or advertisement. And it just simply says over in verse one, and Abimelech, the son of Jerubbaal, went to Shechem and his mother's brethren and communed with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, that's all you get, right? It's just kind of, where does this dude come from? Well, he comes from somewhere. He comes from one, one of all of those women that Gideon had. I'd have conversations with saints around marriage and, 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 and frequently it's my sisters. I don't know why it's not my brothers, but frequently my sisters would try to figure out what's the difference between a wife and a concubine. <laughs> we don't have enough time for that distinguishing factor right about now, but I will say this, that Gideon is... Uh, Gideon's son Abimelech is said to have been the son of his concubine, chapter 8, verse 31, and his concubine that was in Shechem. She also bare him a son whose name is called Abimelech. Again, we can jump all over the men about this. I told you this is a biological imperative drive for which we have lots of sons. Even today, it's still that way. We would wish, would we not? Can, Can I talk to you today? We would wish, would we not, that every man and every woman 
will get married before they have babies. It's a lot of sin going on. A lot of uh, misprioritization of the uh, ontological uh, imperative. But it's going to happen either way, is it not? Men and women are going to have babies. We'd much rather them to do it in covenant than out of covenant because all kind of bad things can occur. But God nevertheless saves, doesn't he? I'm so glad uh, out of wetlock babies is not the unpardonable sin. I think I got a, a very notable president who was of that case as well. His name is Abraham Lincoln and a few others who were the misfortunes of the foolishness of the ontological imperative, but I'm glad God saved him. And here we have a number of uh, lessons to be brought forth today. I am going to be talking a little bit again about politics because your Bible is filled with the moral and the ethical and the spiritual underpinnings as to what would constitute good political scenarios. The judgeship is political. The monarchy is political. And you need to know that. So the bifurcation of politics from religion is ultimately a foolish binary argument that Christians would make today. Right? The prophet has the right to speak into the life of the politician. And so what we're going to see today is something really beautiful, how that the enemy always means it for evil, but God turns it for good, right? Because God has an elect that he's going to save, and it doesn't matter how bad things get. He knows how to hide a brother until it's his time. All right, then let's go to work just a little bit, just a little bit today. The politics of satanic ambition. I'm going to give you some some mapping, some optics to see what goes on in the realm of politics. Under point number one, I call Abimelech a politician. And I say that because he feels called to let everybody know he can be a good king over them. Now, this is actually paradoxically contrary to his daddy, Gideon. Abimelech wants everybody to see him as the candidate. His daddy wouldn't take the job for anything. Do you see the paradox? You see the, uh, the importance of recognizing how Gideon was approved and Abimelech is promoting himself? That is fundamentally, fundamentally the nature of politics. So we would see some things here that the writer of the book of Judges would have you and I to capture. Point number one, the politics of satanic ambition. This is verses one through three. Now listen to verse two and three. He, speak, he speaks to his brethren. He says, speak now to his mother's house, I pray you, in the ears of all the men of Shechem or Shechem, whether it is better for you either that all the sons of who? Jerubbaal, or who? Gideon, which are three score and ten persons reign over you, or that one reigns over you. Also, remember, I'm your bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. I'm your real brother. Boy, if that's not politics, I don't know what is. First thing you need to know is that most politicians don't believe you think well. That's the first thing you need to know. A politician actually believes he can manipulate you. Because it's true. 
Most people are wide open to political machinations and and offers and, and programs and what we can do for you. Most people are wide open to it, particularly when we have not been disciplined enough to be self governing. This is where my generation is today. One of the weaknesses and propensities of our culture is that everybody's looking for a savior outside of Christ. And so a politician generally is an opportunist, if you don't mind. Now, I know we, it's a necessary evil. That's what we've been told, right? Politics is a necessary evil. We've got to work with it. But I want you to understand that they come knocking on your door for one thing, the vote. Okay. And if they can work around you, they will to still execute their will. And so here Abimelech is going back to his family to create a scenario by his propaganda to actually wedge a division between the Shechemites and the Abiezerites. Did y'all just get what I stated? Abimelech is about to now separate one part of the family from the other part of the family. That's politics. And he's going to do it under the nomenclature or the burden of I am your brother. Do you notice that? And you're going to hear that both uh, from the Shechemites as well as from Jothan. When Jothan rises again from the dead, we'll deal with him in a moment. He will say, you guys fell prey to this liar, this antichrist, because he moved you emotionally to identify with him in the flesh. So I want you to understand how politics works. It works to shut you down in terms of objective, rational, empirical thinking and get you at the emotional level. To narrow your focus so that you don't see the totality of the landscape and get you trapped into a crisis or a dilemma or a need that often they manufactured. Are y'all keeping up with me? There was no problem between the Shechemites and the Abiazrites until Abimelech rose up. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? And he knows how to do politics because he knows how to divide. It's called the divide and conquer principle. The second thing that I, and therefore it's coming from a place of flattery. It's coming from a place of condescension. It's coming from the place of assuming that you don't have enough uh, wisdom in yourself to know when they're lying to you. This reminds me again of, of Glenn Lowry's the uh, bigotry of low expectations that get driven upon a people group with all kinds of propaganda, expecting them to buy it because they don't know how to think through a lie. Okay. And he's right about that as well. It is nothing but bigotry. When a person assumes you're so stupid that they can put a lie in front of you and you won't see it until they pull back the curtains. And this is what our boy Abimelech is doing here. Let me show you what I mean by that while I'm laying this foundation under point number one, sub point A, the speech of peace to disarm. The speech of peace to disarm. There's something inherent, ladies and gentlemen, in verses one through three that would infer that 
Abimelech sees that the Shechemite brethren are kind of disturbed about something. They're troubled about something and they need to be rescued. And of course, politics is all about peace, is it not? Peace and prosperity and harmony and unity. And doesn't it appear like Abimelech is coming to rescue the Shechemites? That's the inherent proposition. This is why when we are told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, particularly 3, when they shall say peace, peace, then sudden destruction. And so the underlying uh, uh, notice of, of political speech is that we can bring you peace. We can bring you prosperity. We can bring you hope. We can bring you those things that you need. And most of the time they fail to do it, don't they? And what you have been reading in just 21 verses, though the chapter has 50 something verses in it, is how that a politician comes into a community and wreaks havoc, turns the whole thing into all kinds of internal conflict, family feuding. And the next thing you know, everybody's burned up. That's what you guys just read. And let's look at it again and see what we're talking about here. So we, we, we are never to be moved by anyone coming to us, religious or otherwise, to uh, tell us that they can solve our problems all by themselves. Sub point B, the use of lies to do what? The use of lies to do what? And that is to trap you. Now, again, this one is obvious, but maybe you missed it. Abimelech comes in and he says to his brethren these words over in verse two. Now, listen to this. This is this is what we call a trap. This is another uh, fallacy of logic. If you don't think well, speak, I pray you in the ears of all the men of Shechem. And here's what I want you to speak, whether it is better for you. Either that all the sons of Jerubbaal, which are three score and ten persons reign over you. Or that one reigns over you. Now, what we call this is a faulty bifurcation. It is the assumption that the only solution is rooted in either or. Are y'all keeping up with me? Right. So now if you know your Bible and you understand narratives require you understanding the previous chapter and maybe even chapters to understand the premise of the present chapter and where it's going. Not only has Abimelech set them up for a faulty either or answer, like, have you beat your wife lately? (laughs) Well, how are you going to answer that without falling into a Kafka trap, right? The reality is, is that it was neither either or. It was no. In other words, there is no negotiation as to whether or not they would be ruled over the sons of Gideon the 70, or be ruled over Abimelech, the one, Gideon, Abimelech's father, said no one will rule over you but God. You guys awake in the house today? Right, so notice what he did. As often wicked politicians do, they strip God of his authority and his decree in your life. And see, when you're being lied to, this is the way it works. Destroy the vertical integrity factor, which raises your consciousness so that your judgment of whatever the policies are can be weighed out in light of a God consciousness, a standard of biblical truth, which will dictate for you as a Christian whether or not you should even get involved with what this man is talking about. 
But if in fact they can blind you to the vertical and trap you on the horizontal, now you're trapped. And they can sell you your own vacuum cleaner that you stuck in the garage a year ago. Because you don't think God's thoughts after him. This is what I meant by the bigotry of low expectation. The bigotry of low expectation. When they think you're too stupid to actually weigh out whether or not the proposition is even one that you have a right to entertain. Now, this will always be the case if you don't know your identity. And it's apparent that the Shechemites are losing their identity. Is that right? But it's already clear why. As soon as Gideon had died, they went back to worshiping Baal Peor. We are out of time today. We'll close our program out here and pick up where we left off next time we're together here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us today. We trust it was profitable in your walk and relationship with Christ. Our goal here at Way of Grace is to make sure that you are growing in Christ, that you are living a life worthy of the calling that has been placed on your life from the gospel. If you have questions, comments, prayer requests, as always, you're welcome to reach out to us here at Way of Grace. Our phone number is real easy. You can reach out to us at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. You can also reach us at our website, grace-bible.com. And you can email us from that website as well as find out more about us, who we are, what we believe worship opportunities. In fact, our worship opportunities are really quite simple. Sundays at 1030, we meet here at the church in Hayward. We also have a Friday evening Bible study at 630 and then a Tuesday evening prayer and Bible study at 630 as well. For more information, again, grace-bible.com or call 510-886-9782. Reach out to us by mail if you want to write 22768 Main Street. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California. The zip code is 94541. As always, it's a pleasure spending time with you here in God's Word, growing in His grace. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.